Welcome to the Digital Families Podcast. I'm Leonie Smith, sometimes known as the Cyber Safety Lady. I'm a cyber safety educator and this podcast is all about learning how to use the digital technology in our homes with more safety and balance. My guest today is Fred Brethauer. Fred is a senior family dispute mediator with Catholic Care and a committee member of the Family Law Pathways Network in Sydney. He's been resolving family separation disputes for over 10 years. He also runs education seminars for parents who are experiencing ongoing conflict. Family disputes involving the digital world have also been starting to impact the work that he does. Every talk I do with parents, I inevitably get a question about a family dispute around digital devices in the home. It might be that the parents have differing ideas around what should be allowed and what should not. It may be that the parents feel that their children are not complying with rules around devices or that the parents don't know how to set boundaries around devices. It could be that each child requires different boundaries due to age or personality and they don't know how to set those and make them fair. Is this you? How easy or hard has it been for your family, separated or together, to be on the same page with digital device use? Now, some of you may know that Fred and I have been married for 28 years. So when parents started asking me these tricky questions, I knew who to ask for answers. A result of that has been that the both of us are now being booked as a duo for many parental presentations to cover more aspects of digital parenting. Fred presents his 30-minute talk titled Ditching the Drama Around Digital Devices to more and more schools and parent groups every year. Fred, welcome to the Digital Families Podcast. Thank you, Leonie. It's a pleasure to be here on your podcast. Uh, Tell us a little bit about your background and what led you to being involved in family mediation. Well, like some things, um, a personal interest and uh, always had a, a fascination around psychology. So it led me down the path to um, family dispute resolution because there actually was a need for it. Um, but I really liked the, the learning, um, the, the psychology around it and being able to practice um, has been wonderful. I really do like helping people. So my work is very involved with, with families, with you know, mum and dad. I don't actually work with the children. We have specialists that work with the children if that needs to be done in our field. Also work very closely with um, the court officials from the family court um, and, and some of the lawyers that work in that field as well. I've met quite a few family court judges and spoken with them. So is that enough of an explanation is why I'm there? Yep. Now, most families do not run their um, house like a court. <laughs> or not run disputes so, like a court either. So uh, we can call, look on you to be a sort of a judge, a judge duty, perhaps. In no, I don't make judgments either, at least right. not to the people I work with. All right. So folks out there, it's a bit like being married to a builder, isn't it? When you're living in a half-built house, um, sometimes it's me that does the mediation in the family when there's a dispute. Sometimes it's Fred when he puts his professional hat on. It's amazing what he can achieve <laughs> if he hasn't well, managed one, to, one of, one to of leave the, the house. That, <laughs> you, you can't actually mediate a dispute 
if you're one of the parties because your personal interests and feelings ah. will get, get in the way. But See, that's going to be a question for parents then, isn't it? How do they mediate disputes in their family if they are one of the parties? And I'm going to get to that. Good. Okay, because that does put it in a different, a slightly different situation. So um, also, I did mention in your introduction that disputes around digital technology in families is impacting your work at this time. Now, obviously, with the parents that we talk to, there's going to be a mixture of, of all sorts of different types of families out there with um, some together families as it's called and some families that are separated some that are divorced some where parents are living in completely different countries all around the world so what sort of things are you seeing in disputes around um, digital technology um see the the disputes around the digital world are a symptom and just another type of issue that families families will have disputes about or argue about. There may be a, a you know two or three major issues going on with with parents, uh, and digital stuff might be just one of them. Um, it, it comes about really the dispute because there's an ineffective level of communication. Often the communication between the two parents is not effective, and also the communication from parent to child and back the other way through the other parent can also be looked at as being ineffective. So when, when those communication systems are faulty, they're not working, um, that's when things, things are much more likely to go wrong and not be fixed. Um, add an element of conflict to that as well, if you throw that into the mix. So conflict between the parents or conflict between a parent and a child, add that to the mix and then you've got a pretty toxic digital home where the, the communication isn't effective and there's conflict. Um, another layer to think about is, is there in your home joint decision-making about important things? So the parents are, will uh, cooperate perhaps, uh, or if that's too difficult for the parents to do, they might often do quite separate decision-making. So if, if the parents are used to allocating decision-making to each other, i.e. that type of issue is mum's domain, she'll do that. And the other type of issue, that's more like dad's domain, he'll do that. Um, that, that sort of, that's okay, but not okay. Because when it comes to the digital world in the home and out of the home, because kids carry devices around, um, it's a bit tricky to try and say, oh, that's mum's domain or that's dad's domain. Okay, I'm going to throw another one in there then also because uh, we are now no longer in lockdown, but we were for a time, all of us in Australia were. And what I heard from teachers in particular that I spoke to was feedback from parents about their child's uh, screen use at home because there they were all locked together in a house and all of a sudden they were hyper aware of what their child was, was doing on their screen um, and how often the screen was being used, which it had to be for school, and that added extra complexity. So with everyone working from home, there is obviously going to be a lot more awareness of um, everybody's screen time and what kids in particular um, 
what they're doing on their screen time. So it's it's elevated this whole situation where it could cause quite a lot of arguments in the home because now both mum and dad might be home a little bit more and they're hyper-focusing on the kid that's on the screen who may or may not be on the screen any more than they used to, but they are noticing it more. So I'm going to ask you a, a question that a year three student asked me about two weeks ago when I was giving a talk online a year three student at the end of my talk piped up and said please cyber safety lady what do I do when mum says yes and dad says no and I uh, had a little giggle at that because it was such um, an astute question and I'll tell you what my answer was to this child and you can tell me if I was on the whether I was anywhere within um, the right area because it is a really hard one what do I do when mum says yes and dad says no and I said you tell your mum and dad to get it together and come up with a plan together and don't do anything until they do that because what I what what can happen is I mean who can answer that one is the child takes one side over the other and then ends up you know being in the middle of two parents that haven't made a decision and maybe they haven't. So what would you have said to that child if you got asked that question? So we're year three. So we're looking at an eight-year-old, are we? No, I presume so. Okay. <laughs> an eight-year-old. Eight going on 13. Eight going on 18, maybe. <laughs> so in the, it's a nuclear household, so they're together? I don't know. I didn't ask any questions. You don't ask okay. those questions when you're giving well, presentations well, yeah, to children. You don't ask that question. <laughs> no. So if it's a nuclear household, so it's all happening within the same home, parents are together. Um, there's there's obviously um, a, a conflict in the child's mind about what the child should do, essentially. So how does the child resolve that conflict? Um, unless the parents are actually aware that they have... Um, um, a difference in their way of managing that. How does the child then make the, the parent aware? Either by behaving the way you suggested, the only by actually confronting the parents to say, listen, mum and dad, you know, you're saying this and you're saying that. I mean, you've got to make a decision. Mm. Is a child likely to say that to their parents? Probably not. Um, they might, and that would be good. So all power After the, the cyber safety lady gave them that advice, I'm sure that child will have gone home and said, righto, <laughs> cyber safety lady said, you guys have to get it together <laughs> and I'm not yes. going to take a side about whatever it is. Yes. They're very, you know, they're very, for year three, very smart, didn't actually tell me what the dispute was about and got straight to the point. So, yeah, yes. I imagine she has gone home and well, that, laid it on good. to and, parents. And then, of course, mum and dad need to handle that um, well. Okay, so give us some steps on how they do that because, I mean, this is something okay, that so, so almost every, got, hang on yeah. a second, every every talk I give, and I've said this mm. in the intro, I will have a parent who comes up who tells me that their other person in their family, that it could be a grandparent, it could be a partner, husband, wife, whatever, has a different idea around digital, digital technology to what yeah. they do. And mm. it's causing all... Um, sorts of issues and yeah. more than once I have had a parent who has said to me that they resolved the situation by buying particularly in a in a family where there were um, where they were separated yeah. so there's two different families they resolved the situation by buying two sets of completely different 
devices. And when they explained how that worked to me, that the phone only goes to wherever the exchange point is, and then a new phone is picked up and taken the other way. Same with the iPad. The iPad and the phone in one household may only have, may have parental controls all over it, locking down stuff that they, they don't want their child to have, and the other one has nothing. And even with that situation, the parent said to me, I'm scared about what my child is being exposed to in that other home um, because I know that I've got all these things sorted out and locked down and I'm aware of the potential traps, but I don't believe the other person in the other home has those same beliefs. They think I'm overreacting and I'm scared for my child. Right, so we've got possibly a safety issue. So there's a couple of things that I might want to talk about here with this topic. Um, firstly, you need to pick your battles with, with these issues. Um, we use a thing called the conflict tree as a sort of a, a picture, if you can imagine a tree, and at the root of it, there's a zero. There's no conflict because everything's cool at the bottom. But if you get right up into the branches up at about 10, that's the highest peak, that's where the conflicts are dangerous. You know, the police might be involved, people are getting hurt. If you can, uh, I guess, analyse your, or put a number on the level of importance to this issue, you'll, you'll know how to treat it. So anything below, may, maybe below a five, is probably worth a mention, but it may not need to be um, a seriously discussed issue. Might be, might be, it might be be something you could live with but I mean the other parent's going to do it the other way anyway so if you had two separated household with a child sharing between the homes and it comes in at about a four or a three you might mention it that it's a possible issue for the child and you know things have been mentioned but it's not really an escalatable issue so you mention it to the other parent they'll do what they want because people do have independent homes and they have their own rules within their homes if it escalates to a higher level, sorry, if it if it's measured at a higher level of on the conflict tree, say up between six, seven, or eight, then you've got to do something about it because we're starting to get into the safety area. So if the parents can't agree on the rules around because they're safety based, then they need to find a mechanism to resolve their dispute. If you let it go and don't do anything about it, um, the kind of issues that were there beforehand will possibly just get worse. Um, so that, that's one way to sort of measure up should you t take that battle on or not. The other thing so, is that... So, yeah, okay, so say, if somebody is up at that level yeah, and they go to the other party and yeah. say, I, you know, don't take this the wrong way, but I'm really concerned about, um, you know, Josh, Adam, whoever it is, Yes. Um, I have a feeling that he's getting into seeing things um, perhaps in your home that are affecting him and aren't really healthy. And the other person says, you know what, you've always been a drama queen and I'm not listening to this and how dare you insult yeah. my ability mm -hmm. to parent my child. And that's it. Yeah. Oh. So then where? What? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So it's been raised as a, an important issue. So mm. perhaps then the com communication between those two parents has been ineffective. Whilst the issue has been raised, it hasn't had enough airing or explanation or deliberation to try to actually achieve an outcome. 
Um, what what might be happening is is that the parents have an attitude about that. They don't really want to collude. They don't want to cooperate with each other. They want to parent in silos. You know, you do what you want, and I'll do what I want. I'll, I'm I'm a competent parent. Don't tell me what to do. That the risk with that is that the child will work the gap. The child will be exposed to having to make the child, child will make its own decisions in some cases. They might be bad decisions. Um, and the child also then has a conflict of loyalty and trust between the parents. See that what, what you're actually doing is putting a knife through the trust rope between you and the child. So if you're, if you're working closely with your child and they have a, a good attachment with you and you can talk emotionally when things are tough, that's when emotions come into it. That's a good level to work at. But the risk is that if you jeopardise that trust by, you know, not, not um, managing a serious issue that where the child is, is possibly at risk, then the child will, will be at risk. Okay, so do do you advise people in that situation where they really feel there's a danger to go to um, counselling or mediation? And what what, what if yeah. they don't? What if one of them says, "No, I'm not doing it"? Okay, so well, in our field, we get some pretty serious issues, and um, we give them a certificate to go to court. Um, but these sorts of issues that go to court have to be very serious and there has to be evidence. The courts are all evidence-based. So we're probably not looking to escalate, you know, an issue on cyber safety around devices or device use, unless it's really serious. We can, we, you and I can think of serious examples. And we, the child's talking, at, you know, to a, talking to a pedophile in pedophile, somebody's house or, or watching pornography. Yeah. You, you go straight up the tree with that one because we're putting a child at risk. So that's that's actually a report to the, the, the child welfare people as well. So when, when they're at a lower level and there's no evidence and, and you're really worried about it, what can you do? I guess the power a parent has is within themselves about what they can do with their child. They can't really tell the other parent what to do. Mm. Um, and that happens where... People are parenting silos because they've had so much conflict. They don't want to be cooperative with each other. They just want to get on with it. You do what you want in your home and I'll do what I want in my home and, and we'll live side by side. The children can come between the homes. But so that is not, what you're not suggesting, a gold star model. What you're suggesting is really that the onus is then on um, the the child's education. It's really, really important that the child is then educated about safety so that they, when they're in a situation where they're not prevented or protected from an experience online, that they already know how to get themselves out of a, yeah. um, an awful time, how to recognise predatory behaviour. Well, you're asking the child behavior. to protect itself. So yeah. the child can help to protect itself um, mm. by having a, a level of education where it knows what to do. And that's yeah. where you come in, Leonie, when you talk to the students. Um, so that's, not the, that's not the ultimate level of protection. I mean, the parents, you know, what are they doing? I mean, they're really responsible for the child's protection. There's yeah. a role there for the parents. But then you've got to, you may have a, 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 le a level of um, unawareness from the parent. It's a genuine unawareness. It may not be malevolent. Yeah. Male can't even say that. Malevolent. But it may, it, it may not be, yeah, something 
where they're neglectful. It's just that they simply yeah. don't have that level of awareness. And taking it as, um, to another area, it's another question that I get asked by parents a lot is not just about um, other you know, a family that's separated, it could be any situation that the child goes to, whether they're going to a friend's place and the parent feels that the a friend of the child's parents are also unaware of what's going on on devices. It could be yeah. a grandparent's place where the child is going to the grandparent and the grandparent's just handing over the, the iPad yeah. with no yeah. protections on it. So one of the things that I've always said to parents that have asked me that, and we're going back, you know, nearly 11 years now that I've been getting the same questions, is really that in a situation where your child is going to a friend's place, you can never be sure what the environment is there. You would never put your child in a dangerous environment if you were sure that that child could be exposed to pornography or some kind of horrible violence online then you may have to take a stand and not allow your child to go in that home. And some parents look at me when I say that with really gobsmacked, how can I possibly do that? And I'll say to them, okay, I, you know, you and I are uh, parents of four children that are now adults themselves. We've been through this four times. There may be other situations down the track when your child's a young teenager where you know that it is actually dangerous for you to allow your child to go to someone's house because of the parents, because of the behaviour that's going on in that family. There might be drug or alcohol issues or anything. So at some point, well, if you may really have up, to can say I it. Jump in? Yeah. yeah. So, so with some families, it's easy to pick. I mean, if you if you don't trust that the parents are responsible enough to look look after your child when they're there, then you probably don't send them. But it's, it's the things that go unnoticed by the parents. So, I mean, let's take, for example, young, young Robert down the road. Um, his parents don't know that he plays, um, what's that game where they, they drive cars about and then they jump out? Grand Theft break. Auto. He's only nine years old, but he's playing Grand Theft Auto, but mum and dad don't know, really, you know, because he's allowed to do what he's, his older brother shows him. So it's, it's those sort of things that your children come home and tell you about then you know, uh-oh. Okay, so this is a common question I get. So the child comes home, tells mum and dad I'm playing Grand Theft Auto around there. How come we've got different rules? Well, you're How not going he's... there ever again. I'm not going to send you there. Those people are really horrible and you cut the friendship right now. Well, you can't do that. Really? It's his friend. He's a misguided child. He's not supervised properly. So there's some issues going on at home. So how do we manage that without breaking up the friendship? Is he really such a horrible boy? Well, you, you know, and I both know that that exact thing happened in our own family. Without going into too I much didn't detail, react like that. what we did because it exactly that thing happened. So what we did was we talked to our to our sons about that situation. We told them what our personal rules were around them. Um, playing particular games that were too old for them and said that we expected them to to uh, honour those boundaries no matter where they went in the same way as we asked them to honour other boundaries like not, you know, swearing in somebody else's house, <laughs> which they wouldn't have done, or misbehaving in any kind of way that would we would feel that is unacceptable and not within our boundaries. That, that this also 
was covered with the same kind of of boundaries. And then we also role played with them ways of getting out of those situations so that if the boy was playing Grand Theft Auto when they went round there, what would they do? And we, we role played it and they said, well, we could suggest a game we're allowed to play. Yes, you could do that. What else could you do? You could, we suggest another type of activity and we got to sort of like three different suggestions and then I said, what, what do you do now? And they said, come home. I said, yeah, you come home. And a lot of parents look at me and think I'm absolutely nuts when I suggest that and they're like, oh, come on, no child's going to do that. And I think you're under mist, underestimating your children. If you've already got good fair boundaries, not not strict, not authoritarian, but good fair boundaries that have had lots of, of sensible conversations around them, that your child, you have an expectation of, of decorum that your child has no matter where they are, whether it's school or a friend's place or grandma's place or whatever, you roll it all into that expectation. You can't guarantee that they will go along with it, not at all. But they are aware that if you do find out that they've broken that boundary, that mm-hmm. there will be some kind of fair consequence for that. Well, and I, I think, think that's that, all you can do. So then, the Unless they're in danger, in which case it's like a hard no. If, if it's a case of them going around and being exposed to something, as you said, in that top level, the real danger, then as a parent, um, unfortunately, there are going to be times where you just I, say, oh, I'm sorry, you can't it. go around. If you, if you know the parents, I'd address it with the parents and say... Yeah, but what do the parents react really badly? <clears throat> well, that's that's the risk. But, I mean, if you know the parents, I'm saying. It's a difficult If you don't know can... families, sometimes you, you should just stay yeah, away from but that because that's too I know. difficult. So you can hear, folks, was, this, is our, this, is our, say... this is our conversation. This is how we talk to each other. But I'm telling you, I mean, it has happened to us where we had to approach another family about an issue and it went very, very badly and we did know the family. Um, it is very, very difficult. If I will always recommend for parents, if you can, to get a mediator or third party in. So if it involves a child, uh, for instance, that goes to the same child as your school and it's a really serious situation, Sometimes you actually just need to go to the school, particularly if you've already tried to have a very awkward or difficult conversation with that other parent. What we said at the beginning of all of this was that, you know, you're the mediator, you find it difficult to be a mediator when you're emotionally involved in a situation because you can't be impartial and sit back because there are all kinds of little emotional buttons and things that, that get pushed. So if two parents want to resolve this, hopefully they both do, what steps do they take in order to have a family meeting where they can work yeah. towards resolving an issue? What are those steps? Well, it's going to need more than one meeting. Firstly, we've got two parents that are not on side with each other necessarily, and then they have an issue with the children. So you've got a multi-party sort of issue. So when I say party, I mean it's a family. So if, if mum and dad aren't on the same page, when they try to deal with the children, that's going to be difficult from the start because children are going to get mixed messages even if you have a meeting. So it's better to be prepared. So those two parents who aren't on the same page need to get together and work out how they're going to handle the issue, identify the issue, talk about the issue, look at both of their points of view and then both make proposals to each other about what... They have to compromise, don't they, if they can't? Yeah, a, a good way to make proposals 
is to treat it like this. I've got a great idea about this land, Leonie, but I want to ask you first, what's your idea about how you'd like to handle it? I'll let you know mine in a moment. It's an invitation to the other party to say, well, this is my idea. So then we've got a proposal on the table already, and then you can give yours so that you've got maybe different proposals, but then we're talking about having an opportunity to have the meeting of the minds. So where do those two proposals link up? What's going to be the good or the bad of it? Which way shall we go with it? So the two parents can get on the same page by having a discussion so with themselves. it's very important that before you have any kind of family meeting that the parents are on board. Yep. They're Some board. idea, even if, it, if one parent has had to really adjust their thinking and compromise for the sake of the whole yep. family, because what you don't want to happen is for the meeting to be completely um, trashed by the parents having a yeah. full-on Barney in front of the kids uh -huh. and arguing amongst themselves. So, so okay, it, they've it, compromised, it. and those are good, that's good advice. They've compromised. They've come up with a, a, an idea that they can both live with, and now they want to invite the children into a a meeting. What's that next step going to be? So it sounds very business-like and it needs to be treated differently to just a discussion um, that you'd have in front of the TV. So if there's going to be any, any of these serious discussions, they need to be telegraphed in one shape or another. Tonight we're going to have the discussion about digital use. Well, we need to have the discussion, otherwise you can't get on with your digital use. It just won't happen. We've got to have the discussion. So they need to know the importance of it. Uh, and then... The parents have already decided that they have uh, a plan of how to manage this, but the children must feel as though they're part of it. So it's really important to hear the children. Um, and then depending on their ages, depends on at what level they'll be able to contribute. So even eight-year-olds can contribute, um, four-year-olds much less so. So I'm thinking really to have these level of discussions, it probably needs to be of a cognitive level where, you know, five or six years old is probably a, a good starting point. So you can have discussions around digital use probably from that age onwards, but then ask them around the device how they're going with it. Ask them questions. Be curious what's happening. Um, you know that we've had some problems with it. What do you think the problems are? What's not going well? What is going well? What do you need? You know, let them feel as though they're part of the conversation. They've probably got a lot more to add to the conversation than you think. Yeah. So you need to know what they're doing and they'll tell you and what their requirements are for it. And then you've got a very good starting point as to help them build some boundaries around it. So of course, invite them to tell you what they think the boundaries should be, because if there's no boundaries, then um, schoolwork doesn't get done. They don't come to dinner. Um, they, their brains get fried, all these other things. Let, let's think of something that might work and see what they come up with. Sometimes they come up with something that's totally unrealistic. And I was talking to a parent about this the other day where you might have a child who says, I just want to do what I want to do. I want to come home and I want to be on my computer or my screen or my Xbox or whatever it is for hours and hours. And what yeah. you can do is you can actually... Um, flip that around to themselves and get them to start thinking about taking responsibility for their own well-being. And I, it, it will take it's a it's a journey, it's an ongoing process. But saying things to them really 
opening up their eyes and saying, okay, so if you were to come home from school and spend all this time on your Xbox, um, what time do you think you would get off the Xbox to go to sleep? I'm like, I don't care, whatever time. So when do you think you might eat a meal uh, or whenever? So you've got to start them thinking about all the other obligations that they have to do. And if they come up with silly solutions that like I'm just going to play Xbox all night, I'm not going to eat, I'm not going to sleep or anything like that, um, it, it points out that they need to start taking responsibility for their well-being. But here's the thing, if you as a parent are always focusing on the minute, the stuff that's going on like that and not on outcomes, you can get lost in it. So one of the things that we decided to do as parents when we had issues around that was to very much try and focus on the outcomes. What, you know, were our kids completing certain assignments? Were they doing schoolwork? Were they involved in extracurricular? So you've got to look at the big picture stuff and then bring it down. And the children have to, be, have to learn to be responsible for that. It's a journey that I said before, but start to be responsible for those things. So it's a huge issue. It's a massive issue. And I, I know I've had parents saying to me, but I can't get my children to have any interest in, in anything other than off their screens. They've lost interest in jumping on the trampoline or going to the beach or taking a bike ride or whatever. And it's a bit like um, a process of breaking those habits and enforcing new ones and brainstorming with kids to come up with solutions for how they're going to have more balance. It's a tall order for some parents. I mean, some parents are like laser fair. Well, doesn't matter, anything goes. Well, the, the problem with that is then, yeah, anything will go and things can go wrong. Um, if you're a very controlling parent, on the other hand, you might build up lots of resentments in the home if it's, just, if it's not well thought out. So, you know, with, with very active parenting where you're involved with the children and you, you do hear what they say and you listen to them and, and work with them, uh, and you, you use the problem-solving uh, conflict resolution style where you're consultative. Even if you're in separate homes, if you're separated and that other parent doesn't live in your home anymore, um, you can still have cooperative parenting. Um, not everyone does cooperative parenting because there's sometimes just too many resentments, but quite a lot of people do. You know, that, that level of um, cooperation because the children are the interest, you know, in the children's best interest, which is all that family law, where the focus is, just for the sake of your children, a level of cooperation over such things is probably going to really benefit them. At the beginning of this discussion, we talked about when I asked you what are you seeing around digital device use in your dispute resolution? What you really did was say, look, the the Disputes around digital devices is only just one aspect of of all sorts of disputes. So although kids are carrying these things around with them all the time, giving them access to all sorts of stuff that we never imagined that, that they were going to be able to have, the, the, the issue is probably most likely, as you've just pointed out, your ability to compromise and to... to resolve issues more than anything else so if you develop skills as a family 
in um, building trust, in compromising, in resolving issues through whichever way that you do, then you'll be able to resolve issues around digital devices without yeah. um, dealing with an issue where there's complications with that. You might have a child that's been traumatised by what's happened on a digital device. They might be um, have a serious um, issue with screens where they've absolutely not doing anything else other than being on screens and it's it, it's verging on what mm. you might think is a, almost an addiction, although that's a pretty strong can, can I change So there one are of those, issues there. I want to change one of those words that you think I focused on. So compromising or being accommodative is not as good as problem solving. Mm -hmm. So what we really want you to get to is the problem solving level of conflict resolution. I'm going to try and solve this problem. I've got all the parties involved. It's going to be an, it's going to be a discussion that's honest, um, but in the end, the parents are going to draw the line on where the boundaries come out. So uh, that's the most supportive way for things to go. We all know from children, really, whilst you say, "Oh, look, they resent boundaries; they don't like rules," and guess what? They do. They tell you they don't like them, and they act like they don't like them, and they'll bump up against them all the time, and they'll try and break them. But if they know where the boundary is, They'll work right up towards boundary. it. It's a fair mm. boundary. If they, they yeah. work right up to the boundary and they know mm. exactly where it is, guess what? They feel safe. They know what they're allowed mm. to do. And they'll feel much better about being honest with their parents. Yeah. And one of the things that I always say to parents about boundaries around digital devices is it might actually be the first time you've really had to deal with something as complex as that. And if you can set fair boundaries and your kids, you know, 100% they're going to try and push those boundaries. A lot of kids will be less compliant than others with that stuff. It wouldn't be kids if they once... didn't push the boundaries. No, but if you can get um, some strategies around those digital boundaries, then it'll set you up for when they become teenagers and they have all sorts of other boundaries that are even more serious than those to deal with. You will already have a working situation hopefully in your family where you can resolve issues and where your kids know what you expect so no matter where they go in this world whether it's at school or friends houses or eventually when they get older out in the out in the environment that they have an understanding of right and wrong and what your expectations are around their behaviour, because you can't be watching them twenty four seven. Even if you if you think you can through technology, they are so smart they'll get through those technological boundaries. So it's about your relationship with your child and your family and your partner, and making sure that no matter where your child goes, they know what those boundaries are. And even though sometimes parents think, well, the digital devices, that's not as serious as, say, drugs and alcohol down the track or whatever, um, it is it is serious at this particular time, particularly if it's interfering in your home yeah. to the point where the technology is, is an, the absolute enemy within and we don't want that to be the case because technology is amazing. It's a very, very useful tool that's brought us all together so it has to be something that's that's used in a positive way it's not going away i mean the, the children now if you look at the five or six year old when they're 25 or 26 and and finishing their educations and off into the workforce it's, it's going to be such a digital world then or I, I can't even imagine what it's going to be like in 20 years time but i think the way that you and i have treated it 
Leone, is that we're training our children to work in the digital world. We're not ignoring the technology. We've actually embraced it. Um, and we've managed, or hopefully, managed the safety issues along the way as they've come up and we've confronted them each time. But they need to be at about 16 or 17 years of age when they're working through their senior high school years, quite independent of you. They're, um, they, need, they don't need mum and dad to tell them when to get off the computer, just about. They're, if you can get to them to that level where they, they take some responsibility themselves at that age, when they mm. step out of high school, they either mm. go to TAFE or they go to uni or they go into the workforce, they can look after themselves. That's, that's and, and that's the key the is aim. that they actually have to learn to take responsibility, start to take responsibility for their own behaviour through high school because it's going to be a massive shock and we know that. As soon as they leave high school and go to university, the amount of kids that drop out or fail in that first year because they've been they've, – they've had these guardrails up the whole time with, with parents that have been guiding them so strictly that they've never really felt – that level of responsibility for not taking care of themselves. So thank you very much for all of that. It's a very big subject um, and there's a lot in there. So it's not a simple thing to, to sort out when you've got disputes over digital devices in your home, not at all. Thank you very much, Fred, for being on my podcast for my this pleasure. week. My pleasure. Um, if people want to find out about uh, booking uh, Fred, for any talks about uh, dispute resolution in the home, you can have a look through my website. We do the talks together mostly, me with the cyber safety part of things and Fred with the, uh, with the dispute resolution for families. Um, thank you for listening to the Digital Families podcast. If you like this podcast, please leave us a review or some feedback on YouTube. Um, you might have a suggestion for a guest, which would be really great. I might take a couple of weeks off over Chrissy, um, but... I'll be back on uh, pretty soon with another guest coming up, maybe next week, for the Digital Families Podcast. Thank you, everybody. Thanks for listening. And share it with a friend if you think somebody might be interested in, in hearing this. Bye for now. Goodbye.